0: Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Mildly Interesting. Today we're going to cover the Iranian protests that are like that are essentially spreading throughout the world, uh, and also the recent developments in Ethiopia um, and Ethiopian civil war with Eritrea um, starting to bump up their sort of like recruitment and hunting for draft dodgers and punishing those around them as well. Um, obviously, if you do like what we do, do fo- give us a follow on YouTube, on Spotify, all the social medias. Uh, Akash does post some funny stuff. I will usually retweet it, so uh, you can interact with us that way. Uh, we've got a new website, so that's mildly-interesting.co.uk. We post pretty much everything we do on there, plus some articles that we write. Uh, and yeah, th- I think that's about it. So without further ado, uh, I'm John And
1: I'm Akash Lush.
0: And this is Mildly Interesting.
1: Just smiley, interesting.
0: So, we start off today's episode with a story that is, you know, making headlines around the world and is making waves throughout the internet. So, in Iran, after the death of Maja Amini uh, at the hands of, the, of Iran's morality police, uh, the 20 year old who was arrested for not wearing the hijab, as is mandated uh, by Iranian law, sparked essentially. Massive protests around Iran and now around the world. I I don't know if you've seen Akash, but actually where I live, I've I've seen multiple um, Iran-adjacent protests with, you know, freedom of choice by women. And yeah, on the 13th of September, after she died, essentially, massive protests just went through the region. And it has been now a month, well, just over a month, and it it's ongoing it it keeps going keeps growing which is obviously a very good thing so but akash before that what are the hijab rules that i'm talking about like who, how have we gotten to this uh and what are the rules essentially
1: it's interesting to me because iran has something called the, the morality police which it's 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 quite a contradictory statement almost but um so Iran is an Islamic republic and therefore hold uh unlike secular states like let's say France or Germany um, Iran's state legislature and rules uh, like policy is heavily rooted in uh, Islamic tradition but obviously that kind of clashes with The idea of sort of freedom of religion or freedom to express yourself, especially since the Iranian government imposes a mandatory uh, hijab uh, law where uh, women are punished for not wearing the hijab uh, before the murder of uh, Masa Amini in the custody of the morality police. By the way, for not by the way, for not she wore a headscarf. She wore a hijab but she was arrested for not wearing it properly. Or in the exact quotation of the morality police, she wore it improperly. Um, But even before then, uh, in July, a video was circulating of an altercation between two women on a Tehran bus, Tehran being the capital of Iran. Uh, One in full hijab uh, was attacking another, uh, a Sepideh Rashno, for not wearing a hijab, which. under the mandatory rule was is punishable with a fine or even imprisonment um and it seems that as though even before this in the weeks leading up to the incident uh footage of similar episodes have been spreading uh sh- kind of showing evidence of the growing pressure being uh, exerted on women by the regime um and actually Ra- Sepidi Rashno the person who in the video was seen being attacked uh this video led to her arrest uh abuse under the morality police and she was forced to make an apology on state television um and obviously this this all is added fuel to the fire and the thing that made the pot boil over so to speak was uh as Santos mentioned the death the, the death of massa amini under the morality police uh, who was only 22 might we add still a very young woman her whole life ahead of her this is now sort of it, it's not just a protest this is not just a worldwide movement for the removal of this specific law but it's turned and morphed into a movement based on a woman's choice to express themselves um freedom a freedom to choose basically and a it, it an anti-government protest against the government of Tehran and the uh president uh sorry, the end of Ayatollah Khamenei, uh Khamenei's rule.
0: So yeah, it, it's um the the way we got here is, is complicated. I mean it it's it's quite hard to explain, but it, essentially also the, 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 the hijab rules uh say that every woman must wear the hijab as is mandated by law. So obviously they can you know arrest you if you don't wear it properly, Um, even if they're non-Muslims, right? So if you're you're a foreigner, if if you're visiting, you also must wear the hijab if you're a woman, which obviously, if you don't want to, (laughs) poses a lot of problems. So if you go against this law, you'll be arrested, essentially, uh, if not worse. And the law itself, uh, and this is a direct quote, says that anyone... That you'll be arrested if if you're anyone who ex- explicitly violates any religious taboo in public. You can be arrested for up to two months, is is the law. Now, if this sounds really vague, that's because it is. And, and it's meant to be that way, because religious taboo can just be interpreted by whoever is arresting you, essentially. And you can't do much about it, because obviously, it's the authorities. Um... So after Mazamini I hope I'm, I'm pronouncing her name correctly by the way uh, after she was arrested um she was not seen again until she was in a coma at the hospital right um and she there were there was plenty of evidence of physical violence uh and it's very ob- obvious why she died and you know there are reports now because of the protests of hundreds of people have been killed there's reports of police using live ammunition to uh, sl- well kill protesters in, in in one way and you know try and disperse them as well and these protests by the way they're not just about wearing the hijab or how we should wear the hijab or whether you should wear the hijab it's much like protesters now, it has morphed into them calling for more democratic and sort of like secular uh, measures, right? So, so they want a system that is more democratic, they want a system that is, more, that is fairer, essentially. Uh, and obviously the government, with fear of losing power, is go- getting back at them really, really hard. Um, there are children that have been arrested. In, this, uh, in these protests in Iran. It, it, it's, it really is mind-boggling. There are kids, like school kids. They are being sent to what they call sin rehab clinics. Right? <laughs> the, just how stupid they sound, essentially. Sin rehab cl- clinics. A child who does not wear the hijab properly, according to them is thereby sinful somehow and it's uh yeah it's really it's really frightening and you know you've seen journalists as well being arrested which obviously if you want to report on on the story is not a very good um (laughs) it's not a very good outcome is it um but yeah so also behind all of this there's there's the fact that the government has for the past few years been in pursuit of sort of like um, higher birth rates, so they're they're emphasizing the fact that women should be stay-at-home mothers and they they shouldn't work. Again, it, it's it's one of those, uh, one of the complaints that the protesters have. One of those freedom of choice complaints that they the protesters have. And yeah, it's just it's just really really bad time to be an Iranian woman. Uh, and it's what well, what do you think, Akash? Is it likely to change anything? The I mean the protests are gaining speed despite already being um on for a month right everyone's going behind it do you think it will actually change anything or do you think it will be say for instance like in Afghanistan where um women most women probably like sorry most women still haven't gone to school um and not allowed to do so so do you you think uh, it's going to be the same or do you think something might change from this
1: Part of me wants to hope that these protests will amount to something. They, that, that there will be some sort of outcome. However, we history has repeated itself multiple times showing that those in power who cling on to power don't seem swayed by the death of civilians. So, unfortunately, knowing what I know about the government in Tehran and sort of the history of Iran, I'm not sure if just these protests are enough to change the government. I feel that if the protests grow into sort of a like nation in iran at least into a nationwide united front if it i'm afraid things might get worse before they get better if you look at sort of how the government has dealt with these initial protests um but i do believe somewhere down the line that oppressive Systems and oppressive governance like this never last in the long term. They are always toppled or overthrown by sort of the will of the people for more freedoms, for the ability to, you know, choose who rules them and how they rule them and have a a system of like power checks with whoever's on top and whoever's, I guess, in this scenario on the bottom. Um, so yeah, I think, I think thing things might get worse before they get better.
0: Right. So again, you might notice like last episode that we are wearing different clothes and the lighting is completely different from just a few seconds ago. Uh, that is because of me. (laughs) I keep making the mistake of not charging my camera enough. And apparently, uh, after checking it a few seconds ago, I also don't have enough space, so uh, this episode essentially, if you find that something, you know, it, when you see that my face is not on it, it's either I am I have no battery or <laughs> I did not have space. But anyway, with that out of the way, it's our new segment, I mean not new segment, it's our segment, uh, one of the classics, Idiot of the Week, uh, Akash. Can I can I go first on my idiot of the week?
1: Oh yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm interested to see who is your idiot of the week.
0: Right. Okay. So my idiot of the week for this week, uh, we've talked about him before. It's Alex Jones. Oh,
1: <laughs> goddammit. it! <laughs> <laughs> I fucking knew it. I knew it.
0: <laughs> right so if you guys don't know and you probably probably so do do you have the same person nakash is that is that what you're saying
1: yeah we uh we had a we had a little conversation before uh we started recording (laughs) uh with me i i just had an intuition that we had the same idiot of the week uh it's our favorite conspiracy theorist and marketer (laughs) extraordinaire alex jones
0: yeah so Uh... for those of you don't know uh, he was just prosecuted and fined for nearly one billion dollars. Uh, so Jones essentially was, was fined liable for defaming the parents of the children killed in Sandy Hook Elementary almost a year ago. Um, and yeah, so essentially what he said is, was that the the Sandy Hook massacre of 20 children uh, was essentially a government, a government operation. So he was finally find a uh, billion dollars okay, okay, let me just say like, this here's the thing should he have gotten prosecuted like should have been found liable yes but one billion dollars <laughs> What? a bit excessive a,
1: the man the man a, it has earned a hundred million US dollars at best so I don't know if that money's actually gonna be ever be received <laughs> By those families. Oh no, it's n-
0: it's never gonna be paid. He's gonna he's just ruined his career essentially. Which you know mm. you know you might like that or you might not. But it's just really funny that he was fined one billion dollars. Uh, you know, check again next year when he's fined two billion for saying the frogs are gay. Um... <laughs>
1: yeah, or well, he's gonna give one billion dollars to the uh, gay frog victims uh, of the the chemicals in the water uh but in all
0: seriousness you know it's 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 a good thing he's found guilty uh actually this might just give us a nice you know topic for deep dives with uh restrictions like regulations in the media and all that with social media like thrown into it as well so who knows who
1: knows
0: uh but yeah Akash, do, do, do you have any other idiots of the week if you want <laughs> tell you what if you want we, um, you can you can he- use me as the idiot idiot of the week for uh, my constant problems with camera work.
1: Uh, nah, I I won't I won't uh, <laughs> I won't razz you like that. Um, uh, my idiot of the week is well, it was Alex Jones, but uh, we have a very <laughs> I have two idiots of the week, and they're very personal to me, and it is my flatmates because i so i was just at my uncle's uh i was at my uncle's uh last night and today uh, most of today and my uncle offered to drive me home uh with my cousins uh my little cousins they're nine and seven years old and i went yeah sure that's fine uh i'm not gonna say no to a free ride especially when the train journey is like four or five hours but then while we were on the road uh, my cousins kept saying that they wanted to come into my house. So I went, okay, yeah, sure, yeah. I'm not going to say no to kids. So I was like, yeah, sure, okay. But I quickly texted my <laughs> flatmates, like, the group chat we have, and I quickly texted them, like, hey, my family's coming over. Like, they're going to come in the house. So, like, maybe, I don't know, don't be naked. Um, And they were like, yeah, sure, sure. Um, And bless them. they They really tried because... <laughs> Because um I came into my they
0: really tried not to be naked well, they really oh no,
1: sorry, they didn't really try to i mean yeah, they tried not to be <laughs> naked by wearing clothes, but they really tried to make it presentable because <laughs> they even like came into my room and made my bed and like took out my like empty coffee cups and like washed them um so they really did try, however, um uh, my cousins and uncle they they didn't really go into my room they they wa- they kind of only looked like in the kitchen and in the living room. And I pray to God that my uncle didn't see this. But not only was there a bright pink dick-shaped bottle opener sitting on sitting on our <laughs> bookshelf, there was also a uh, there was also a wax candle on our fireplace. A fi- I say fireplace. It's the landlord has explicitly told us not to use it, and he's boarded it up. But There there was a wax candle on our fireplace in the shape of a naked woman. Um, tits out and everything. Right. So (laughs) I would let them off if I hadn't texted them specifically, can we make sure the dick bottle opener is not (laughs) like is hidden away? (laughs) So Nice. That um I
0: listen (laughs) it. (laughs) And you know, if you like if you if you want more stories from Akasha's life, <laughs> uh make sure to tune into to the following episodes. We will make sure to uh to bring you all the good uh no, no. the good juicy details of uh Akash's oh, life. I'm, no but that's amazing though. I'm, I
1: I, I'm, I I love that. I'm sorry for you, but I love that. I'm just waiting for the text from my mom being like so um your uncle told me what what uh, what what goes on in that flat, huh? What um? <laughs> what?
0: So in this podcast, we've already talked about the Ethiopian civil war plenty of times. We've written about it as well. Uh, but essentially, the civil war in Ethiopia, which focuses on the region of the Grey, although it does span across uh, other regions in the country. Uh, broke out in November of 2020. So it is now nearly two years since the start of the civil war, which essentially followed a massive uh, fallout between government forces, uh, which are led by Abiy Ahmed, which is um, Ethiopia's prime minister, and the TPLF, so that's the Tigray's People Liberation Front, right? So essentially the war is being fought on two fronts with forces from the Ethiopian government... Uh, teaming up with uh, forces from Eritrea... against the TPLF, right? Under the TPLF, Ethiopia and Eritrea... over 80,000 people have been killed. And it seems that now... Um, Eritrea is boosting up its... recruitment for, for, for the army, for essentially, for fighting in that war. And especially hunting down draft dodgers. But not just those who try and flee the situation, but also the families, the friends, the social circle around uh, those people. So Akash, this is... this, This marks a very important step in the war, doesn't it? Because clearly, for them to be hunting for draft dodgers, it's because they're struggling to find new people to replenish those that have died um like w- what are they exactly doing to those who try to help them escape hide them or just are associated them with them by
1: being their family or friends so Eritrea as a country which by the way has is kind of newly established country uh, it only succeeded from Ethiopia about 28 years ago Uh, eritrea is very authoritarian and has a tight quite a tight grip on sort of the media and what comes in and out of its country uh sort of sort of what portrays like the information so a lot of what you'll find a lot of the news reporting on these on this country the sources refuse to give name like they refuse to Give information unless promised anonymity. Um, because essentially no one has been spared. Uh, The latest roundups are considered the worst so far, with many elderly mothers and fathers detained in a bid to force their children, who have gone into hiding, to surrender. So, Eritrea has allied itself with the Ethiopian government, like you said. And it's um, calling up citizens for mobilization and cracking down on draft dodgers in this kind of way. Um, And the way they've been doing this is checkpoints have been set up along major roads and widespread searches are taking place in both cities and villages. Um, However, it seems that the Eritrean government itself kind of denies or is lightly denying any of this. Um, Last month. Information Minister uh, Yemen Gebre Meskel said that only a tiny number of reservists uh, were being called, um, denying that like the whole population had been mobilized. Uh, this is at odds with the information coming out of Eritrea, stating that e- Eritrean authorities were trying to stir emotions at public meetings, linking their military intervention in Tigray to the existence and sovereignty of their nation, and saying that the TPLF must be buried. Uh, Many Eritreans have resisted this call-up, however, saying as many of them view this as an unnecessary and needless war. Those who harbor deserters or even help deserters in any way are being detained, uh, as the regime in Eritrea runs a network of secret detention centers where people are held for many years without any due process. Like I said, it's only been about 28 years since Eritrea's independence, but since then, in those short 28 years, Eritrea has fought wars with with all of its neighbours, and mandatory military service is only really supposed to last 18 months, but has been inadvertently extended to an indefinite, Mandatory military service because of just the amount of violence that Eritrea has seen. Um, in the last two decades, we've seen about tens of thousands of young Eritreans uh, leaving the country to escape cons- conscription, which also includes forced labor, and to escape the idea of having their families and friends being t- detained in these secret detention centers.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, and it what's really important to note and why this is. Such an important turnaround in the state of the war is that even women are being recruited now, which uh, obviously in, in in a state such as Eritrea that's unheard of. Essentially, I, I, in that state, women are still portrayed as you know stay at home mothers. Essentially, uh, they're not supposed to work. Um, so for them to be for them to not be sparing women in the recruitment process, it just really shows like the devastation of this war and it's really important to point out there's a lot of people a lot of experts who consider this even worse than the ukrainian war right and and but you don't hear about it right um you don't really see it in the mainstream media as much just because of proximity and the fact that it's been going going on for two years almost um and also we've mentioned this when we first covered this war abi ahmed the uh, prime minister of ethiopia he gained like he, he won the nobel peace prize for making peace with eritrea and now he's teaming up with eritrea to fight someone in his own country so it's just to, to for everyone to see the irony in all of this and the, the gravity of what really is going on and and yeah it's it's it shows no signs of stopping. There was a brief moment of hope that I have actually wrote r- written about uh in our website so if you guys do want to check it out do so like do do that um where there was a sort of peace agreement a ceasefire to have supplies like medicine and food uh ...allowed back into uh, Tigray, because a few months ago, and it's still the case, one of the worst places in the world in terms of food security is Ethiopia. And it is because of this war, because NATO, um, uh, UN and NATO, and uh, like convoys, cannot get through the checkpoints uh, that the government is imposing. So food and medicine does not get to uh, Tigray and the little food that is there uh, is used to feed the quote-unquote soldiers because at this point they're not really soldiers they're more like militants and you know it's it it really is a dire situation and given the failed peace like ceasefire peace treaty um I don't think we're gonna see it stop anytime soon there have been multiple tries at this, and none of them have worked. Uh, so and it's just there's it, there doesn't seem to be the urge by Ahmed to actually do something about it.
1: I think a a good point you mentioned is the fact that Ahmed actually won the Nobel Peace Prize for conducting peace and political uh sort of um operations with Eritrea, Ethiopia's long-time enemy, ever since, even before Eritrea's succession. Um, But people are now almost questioning what Ahmed brought to the table to negotiate that peace with Eritrea. Did he say that he, did he promise the recognition of Eritrea's lands and in return Eritrea was to help him in further suppressing the TPLF T- um because what wh- what's important to know about Ethiopia's history is that the TPLF were initially the the rebels and revolutionists that brought that toppled a previous dictator uh with the help of the Eritrean guerrilla force as well and then the TPLF themselves became a a dictatorship almost and while many associate them with economic growth many many others associate them with suppression of the media and further striking down of human rights and then when Abiy Ahmed uh, rose to power um, he was seen as more of a liberalist as as a peacemaker but it seemed that right after he made peace with Eritrea he went about trying to dismantle the TPLF's power and that's how we're in this position now. Um, so Ethiopia's past, or at least modern history, is very much checkered with powers attempting to topple each other. And then they themselves becoming the power everyone wishes to see gone. Uh, and, and it's also important to note that the UN has accused both sides of committing acts of Uh, human rights violations and war crimes and both sides have been wary and skeptical of foreign aid coming into the Tigray region in fact there were reports of the tplf stealing i think it was 500 or so tons of um fuel meant for humanitarian purposes so it really is a very intricate and complex situation, um, which I think at this point in time needs more light on it more than ever. This has, I think in both of our opinions, this war has gone on for too long, and now with Eritrea cracking down hard on draft dodgers and its mandatory military service seeming to be indefinite, I think more light needs to be shone on Eritrea as a country as well.
0: Yeah, and uh, like, like you said, I think you, you raise a very, very good point, is that the fact that there isn't one good side of this story. Like, there isn't. Uh, the TPLF is authoritarian, and the rest of Ethiopia is also authoritarian. Uh, that's just what it is. So, when the ceasefire was instate, uh, reinstated... Uh, It was mainly because of American pressure. Biden did make it very clear with Abiy Ahmed that he wanted the region to have peace. The problem is that Biden cannot intervene in in any other ways, nor can any of other European countries or superpowers do so, simply because there isn't one good side to the story. It's not like the TPLF is right or uh, the government is right. They're both committing atrocities. So by helping one, you're helping the atrocities they're committing, anyway. Um, So it's really it's a really hard situation to manage, I think, and it would have to come from within Ethiopia. Um, But obviously, uh, that doesn't seem to be in the near future or in the minds of anyone uh, in Ethiopia right now. So I guess we'll have to wait and see, and hopefully. Because the last time we reported this was almost to the to the dot a year ago. Um, wow! Exactly, that was the first time we reported on Ethiopia, and hopefully in a year in a year's time we will not be talking about how it's going in Ethiopia, or we will, but we'll be talking about how it's going well, uh, because it's been two years, man, and it's 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 bloody eighty oh, upwards of eighty thousand people have died. It's, that's that's. You know, it's, it's, it's terrible and with much many more dying without us knowing because of the restriction on information and also, you know, in danger of dying because of starvation, essentially, which is, which is probably even deadlier than the war itself. So if you liked that episode, please remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel and check our socials. Akash is pretty funny, so he will make you laugh if you do follow us, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, but also follow updates on our website, mildly-interesting.co.uk. Um, we do post quite a bit on it, you know, every now and then. Um, and yeah, if, if you are mildly interested, uh, do stick with
1: us. And yeah, I was Jonsan. And I was Akash Slash. And this was Mildly Interesting.